If you're visiting with us this morning at this time, if you have a child pre-K through first grade, you're welcome to participate this morning with our brother Tim and Miss Julie for uh, Children's Church in our assembly room. Tim, be nice to the children, okay? Let me extend to you a welcome also. If you're visiting with us, we're grateful for your presence with us today. This morning is going to be somewhat different than what our normal habit is for preaching on a Sunday morning. It is our habit to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books. In fact, we're going through the book of Exodus right now. But we are going to take a pause today to reflect with one another on God's incredible, gracious gift in the life of this church. It's a narrative I want to weave together for you as we look at a text of Scripture this morning. And yes, let me say to you ahead of time, if you've read our text of Scripture, you know that we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, and we are going to reflect together as brothers and sisters in Christ today on the topic of giving. And friend, our prayer this morning is, as you hear this narrative from the text of Scripture, as you hear of God's incredible blessing through His people, we pray that you see the beauty and the glory of God in Christ and the generosity of God's people, and that that narrative together would compel you to trust in Christ. If you notice this morning in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or if you're familiar, aware of this text that takes place, Paul is now writing to the church at Corinth for at least the third or fourth time. 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, is at least Paul's third or perhaps fourth letter that he has written to the church at Corinth. When he wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he encouraged the church at Corinth to participate in the giving of funds to the church in Jerusalem. You might remember from Acts chapter 11, there's a wonderful narrative there from this prophet who gave this prophecy that there was going to be this time of famine. And this is about the time in which the church itself is is taking off, and the church in Jerusalem was impoverished for a number of reasons. One, this great famine had gripped the hearts and lives of the people in the community. Secondly, the church in, Cor- the church in Jerusalem was a church, by and large, that had a lot of transition it, uh, taking place. The majority of Jews had been dispersed through the diaspora, so they only came to Jerusalem at certain times throughout the year. For example, the day in which the church was birthed was the festival of Pentecost, as Jews from all over the known world had made their way into Jerusalem. And there, Peter stood and boldly proclaimed the truths of God's word. And these Jews from all over the world who spoke different languages heard the truth of the gospel in their own language. And the Bible says that 3,000 of them were saved. That's 3,000 men, and they were baptized. And so there wasn't this core group of people who stayed in Jerusalem. The majority of those 3,000 people would have left Jerusalem and made their way back to their own communities. And so there wasn't this solid core group of believers who could sustain the work of God taking place there in Jerusalem. They were an impoverished church. So Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, and he encourages them to participate 
in this giving to the church at Jerusalem and that their giving to the church in Jerusalem might be a sign of God's blessing in their lives and as not only serve as a blessing as of God's, uh, not only as a sign of God's blessing in their lives, but also would be a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. Paul was not only encouraging the church in Corinth to participate in this grace giving, Paul was also encouraging churches throughout Asia Minor to participate in this grace giving. For example, we'll hear from this text together this morning in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul had also wrote to the churches in Macedonia, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica. He had also written to those churches in that area to encourage them to participate in the giving of this grace gift to the church in Jerusalem. As our narrative will show us this morning through this text, the churches in Macedonia responded. They responded to the Apostle Paul's plea. They gave the gift that Paul had asked of them to give as a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. But the church in Corinth has a problem. You know from the reading of the text of Scripture in 1 Corinthians, it was a troubled church in many ways. But even after Paul had visited and written his first letter to them, there was a large attack against Paul's ministry. In fact, if you read the total book of 2 Corinthians, you will realize that the majority of this book is Paul's defense of his ministry. 2 Corinthians is Paul writing a defense of his ministry against the attacks of these super apostles. So it would seem that what's happened here in the Corinthian church is that Paul encouraged them to give. He challenged them to give. They responded in grace and said, yes, we will participate in this gift. And then tragedy, if you will, had struck. Dissension, division, animosity, as it always does, destroys the work of God among God's people. And so we see from this narrative that the church in Corinth does not complete the pledge that they had made ultimately to the Lord and to the Apostle Paul to be a blessing to the church in, Corinth, in Jerusalem. So I'd like for us this morning to reflect together as we reflect and rejoice together today in God's blessing in the life of our church from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. This morning, I'm not going to do a full exposition of every one of these texts of scriptures. We're going to look at some of the larger principles that flow from this text of scripture around this theme. God intends. God intends us to use his blessing to be a blessing to others as a demonstration of our love for him and others. This is how God has intended for you and me to use the incredible blessing and resource, resources, grace as Paul calls it, in our lives to be a blessing to others as a demonstration of our love for God and for one another. I want you to notice a few principles out of this text of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter eight and in the 2 Corinthians chapter nine, and we're gonna to read together 
a majority of these texts from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Hear the word of the Lord beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Notice how Paul defines giving. Paul speaks of giving as a grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but as they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in all of our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Through giving, we not only demonstrate our love to God, we demonstrate also our love for one another. This is what Paul is speaking of. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Look at verse 24 of chapter 8. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about to you before the people of Macedonia, saying that all the churches in Macedonia have been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said to you, that you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you, 
for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go ahead, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his, in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all, in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See, friends, generosity encourages generosity. Generosity breeds generosity. The church at Corinth had made an expression of incredible generosity. And as Paul tells it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he used the pledges, the generosity of the church in Corinth to be an encouragement to the, for the generosity of the other churches in this gift that would be given to the saints in Jerusalem. But as I noted a few moments ago, while God used the generosity of the Corinthians to spur generosity among the other churches, the church at Corinth had fallen into a moment of difficulty. And this moment of difficulty was a pause in God's gracious work among them. And so Paul is now writing for the third or fourth time to the church at Corinth for them to continue to participate in the grace of God as a demonstration of their love for God and their love for others in completing the task that God has given to them, completing the task to which they have pledged their lives. I want you to notice a couple of pr principles flowing from this text of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. First, God has given us His grace to be a blessing to others. God has given us his grace to be a blessing to others. As we think about the grace of God, particularly in conservative evangelical churches, 
We think of this grace of God as being God's demonstration of his love to us through the sending of his son Jesus. How has God most preeminently demonstrated his grace to us, friends? God has done that by sending for you and me, Jesus. The Bible says that we can't rescue, you, rescue ourselves from our sins. Each of us are dead in our trespasses and our sins. But God, as we read from Romans chapter 5, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive unto Christ. When we think about grace, we think about God's grace in that most marvelous way. But notice what Paul says in relationship to giving. Our giving is also an act of grace. Our giving demonstrates this grace of God. In fact, you might remember from reading the text just a moment ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul uses the narrative of Jesus' life. That Jesus, though he was rich, became poor. So that in his poverty, you and I might become rich. He's not talking about financial wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. Jesus left the very throne of God, and he became a man. He indwelt himself among us. He took on our poverty. You might remember the story of Jesus in the Gospels, where Jesus himself says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus came in poverty. Why? For in his poverty, he gave his life to you and me so that we might become rich. Rich in the grace of God. But our giving is an aspect of this grace of God to be used as a blessing for others. Listen at this text of Scripture back in chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Verse three, for they gave according to their means and beyond their means, joyfully wanting to participate in this grace gift. Notice again verse 10 of chapter eight. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Now, isn't this interesting, friends? Perhaps when we give, we think, ouch, as it relates to our back pockets. Whoa, wait a minute. But notice what Paul is saying. Joining other brothers and sisters in a demonstration of grace and of giving is a benefit to whom? Those who receive the money? Well, of course. But notice what Paul is arguing here. It is to your and my benefit that we join God in this way. In fact, Paul would go on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to ground this conviction in the text of Scripture. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. But he continues in this text of Scripture with the obvious, we might say, an example from agriculture. Look back in chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap how? 
sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is an image of a farmer who goes out to sow seeds. And if he's got his bag of seeds and he's just putting one seed here and 10 feet later another seed, when it comes time for harvest, what will the farmer have? A small harvest. But the farmer who takes that seed and he sows that seed sparingly, bountifully, excuse me, when harvest comes, he won't be surprised when he walks out and sees what? A large harvest. Friends, this is not a health and wealth, name it and claim it, gospel. It is a biblical principle that should grip the hearts and lives of every person who by grace has been saved that we should be generous people. And there's a benefit to it, friends. I want you to look back at this text more closely. Look with me in chapter 9 at the very end of verse 5. Paul gives us a purpose clause, so that it may be ready as a... What does your Bible translate that next word or phrase as? Mine says, so that it might be ready as a willing gift. Now come down to verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows... How does your Bible translate that next word? Bountifully. Anybody have a different translation than bountifully? Generously. Anybody else? Will also reap bountifully or generously. Now, friends, you don't see it in your English Bibles, but in the Greek New Testament, these three words are the same. Let me read it to you again with a more common translation of this word from the Greek New Testament. Chapter 9, verse 5 at the very end. So that it may be ready as a willing blessing. Come to verse 6. Whoever sows with the intended purpose of being a blessing will also reap blessings. Friends, you might have heard it this way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus himself had something to say about this. Look with me in Luke chapter 6 real quickly. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the subject of giving, uh, of, sorry, of judgment, but we can use the same principle as it relates to giving. Jesus is saying, the way in which you mete out whatever it is in your life, judgment, or giving that you can expect in return. Paul is reminding the church at Corinth of this biblical position that God has intended His blessings in our lives 
to be a blessing to others. And the more that we bless, the more he blesses. Look at verse 10 of chapter 9. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, what will he do? Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Ultimately, friends, Paul is making a plea to the grace of God that they have found through salvation. And he reminds us that saving grace, an evidence of saving grace in the life of a believer, is a willing, joyful, cheerful expression of giving. Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to complete, accomplish the task that has been set before them, and that is a task of grace. But look at verse 5 of chapter 8. God has given us His grace to be a blessing to others, but notice what else this text teaches us. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Chapter 8, verse 5. And this not as we expected. In other words, Paul is saying, man, you gave far greater than we ever anticipated. But they gave themselves first to whom? The Lord. And then, by the will of God, to us. See, friends, we join in the worship of the triune God when we participate with other brothers and sisters in the act of giving. This is why the Christian church from its very foundation has woven into its worship services the act of giving. Why? Your giving and my giving is an act of worship, an act of adoration, an act of thankfulness an expression of joy to one who has given so much to you and to me. If we were to define worship only as giving this morning, what might be said of our lives? Are you a worshiper of God? When the offering plate passes by next time and you place that offering in the plate, when you give online, would you see that as an act of worship? Of you giving yourself to whom? Not Woodlawn Baptist. To God. Would you give yourself to God in that way today, friend? Would you allow your giving to be a demonstration of your faith and your hope in God? But notice what else this text teaches us. Giving, our giving, proves our love for God and for one another. Our giving proves our love for God and for one another. Look back in chapter 8, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love also is what? Genuine. 
Paul is wanting them to prove through their giving that the church in Corinth loves the people of God at the church in Jerusalem. We might, by application, draw the same conclusion in the context of this body of Christ. Our giving in the context of this body of Christ is also a demonstration of our love and care and compassion for one another. But it not only demonstrates that we love the brothers and sisters, that we love the church of God, it also demonstrates that we love God Himself. So this is Paul's point in verse 24 of chapter 8. So give proof before the churches of your love. Your love for whom? Your love for God. And our boasting about you to these men. Paul knew and understood the importance of being able to tell this narrative of God's incredible grace among the church in Corinth to the church in Jerusalem. But he also knew that this giving was a demonstration of their deep love and affection for God. Friends, one of the greatest ways that we can communicate our love for one another and our love for God is through our giving. And it's that narrative. Love of God and love for one another that I would like to share with you this morning this most incredible story of that truth lived out in the life of this church over the course of the last several months. As a church family, more than 10 years ago, you launched out into an initiative to build what we completed two years ago as our education building. And it was a journey. A price was set before you of multiple millions of dollars. And we began a journey with one another in giving. And you were so faithful in that giving. And I'd like for you to see this morning on the screens a story, an update of your faithfulness to complete this commitment over the course of the last 10 years and a plea for us to finish this commitment over the course of the next several months. In, in May of this year, our balance, what we owed to Red River Bank for the building to my right and your left was $934,000. In May, we had a balance of roughly $934,000. One day, sitting in my office, Leslie Talley, our ministry assistant, brought me a note and asked me to call a family that had called to the church office and wanted to know about a grace gift. It was a really busy season. I took the note and set it on the corner of my desk because I had no idea who this family was. Didn't recognize the name in any measurable way. One week later, that family calls back to the church and asks the exact question again. So Leslie brought me another message and said, this family has called back again. So I thought, well, gracious. This family is calling the church 
and they're wanting to know if we take stock donations. You know, like they're knocking down the front door wanting to give a donation. I guess I should call them back. So I called the family back. And the family essentially said to me, uh, Pastor, uh, we would really not, we really don't want to be involved. We, we don't want any recognition. We'd just like to make a donation to your church. Could you please connect your stockbroker to our stockbroker? My what? I don't even know if I can spell stockbroker. What does a stockbroker do? So thankfully, by God's grace, we participate in a larger narrative with the Louisiana Baptist Convention, and the Louisiana Baptist Convention has and a, a, a part of our organization that deals with these things called the Louisiana Baptist Foundation. So I asked Leslie, Leslie, would you connect our stockbroker to their stockbroker? And of course the answer was yes. Life continued to happen. We're getting ready for VBS in the life of our church. Things were busy. I had completely forgotten about it. It was a phone call from someone that I had absolutely no idea who this family was. Didn't know them in any measurable way. Out of sight, out of mind. And I was driving up the central throughway the very end of May to meet with a group of pastors. When my phone rang, and it was the president CEO of the Louisiana Baptist Foundation. He said, Pastor, uh, everything has gone through. We've sold the stocks, and that should be in your church's uh, savings account with us in the next one to two days. So I thought, well, great. This is wonderful. So I said, brother, uh, do me a favor. Tell me, what does it mean to sell a stock? I had no idea. And by the way, in case some of you are sitting on stock, let me tell you the benefit, okay? For example, if you bought a stock at $100, and let's call that stock a stock in Exxon. Okay, he bought a $100 stock in Exxon. And that stock grew over the course of the next few years to $150. You could donate that one stock equal to $150 to Woodlawn Baptist Church, and the benefit of donating that stock to you, the donor, is that you pay zero dollars in capital gain tax. So the taxes that you would owe from that $100 to that $150, you would pay zero. And secondly, the value to the giver is that 100% of that donation is now tax deductible for you. So you get a tax deductible slip that said you gave $150. So you pay zero capital gains, and you pay and you get the benefit of tax deduction from the church whereas if you sold the stock and then gave the cash of that stock to the church you might pay 20 30 dollars in taxes so then you would give to the church 120 dollars so he explained that to me i thought wow that's very nice i'm assuming you know what my second question was Really, that was my first question. <laughs> but I thought I'd be spiritual and ask the other question first. <laughs> Friends, what I want you to see this morning is what we're calling the Macedonian gift. One family disconnected from the life of this church 
gave more than 300000 $317,000 to Woodlawn Baptist Church. An act of grace. By God's grace, I actually had kept a note on the corner of my desk with the family's name. And I don't know about you, but I know about Lewis. A note in the mail saying thank you was not in any measurable way sufficient. I was compelled to say, may we please meet. So I called the family, and the family agreed somewhat reluctantly. And my wife and I drove more than an hour away from here to go meet with this family, to hear the story of God's incredible grace from this one family, who are not in any measurable way members at Woodlawn Baptist Church, to find out why. And Eric and I sat down in a restaurant across from this family, and we heard the why. I'd like to share it with you. This family visited our church on a Sunday in which the student choir was singing. And they were so overwhelmed with the joy of hearing the voices of our students. They were so overjoyed by the number of young families in the life of our church. And ultimately, the family sitting across from us, and I'm only kind of imagining, you know, as they're telling this story here, uh, and just a very quiet, joyful expression said, well, I noticed in your worship guide that you had a debt on your building and we thought we could help. We thought we could help. I've asked Pastor Laramie to have the student choir sing every Sunday since then. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story, friends? Because it serves to me as a reminder of the grace of God and the life of our church. And by God's grace, He is raising up a generation of passionate worshipers and children and students who love the Lord. And we've been sowing the seeds of the gospel and raising up disciples of Christ bountifully. And you know what God is doing? Bountifully responding in the life of His church. This generous donation, we took 300000 I spoke to the family, the remaining balance we put toward a mission project we're working with in India. We applied the 300000 to the building on faith. In addition to this 300000 we had an additional 100000 that you, the church, voted from the very beginning of this project to keep cash on hand. So with the 300000 the 100000 cash on hand, it brought our remaining balance to around $534,000, which you could see on the screen. Of course, excited and joyful about this. I told this narrative to our finance team. I shared this narrative with our Building on Faith team. 
And together with my brother Caleb, I had a real strong passion and desire. No, the Lord did not whisper in my ear. No, he didn't write a sign in the sky. Compelled by the text of scriptures, friend, I went to the building on faith team with a, with a, with a proposal that we encourage you, the church family, to retire the remaining $534,000 in a year. That we would take this Macedonian gift from this one family, not connected to the life of our church in any measurable way, that we would respond to the incredible grace that they have given, and in like manner, we would respond in grace. But I knew for us to get there, it would require conversations with families. So over the course of the next two months, I met with numerous families, many of you seated in this auditorium today, and made a plea, shared the story. And friends, if you could only see what I have seen over the course of the last month and a half, from the generosity of God's people in the life of this church, you couldn't help but shout, hallelujah. We had family members in the life of this church pledge everywhere from $1,254 to $81,000 to be given to BOF over the course of the next year. And through 26 families in the life of our church, 26 families have pledged $475,000 to be given to BOF over the course of the next year. A Macedonian gift was given. And the Corinthians... The Woodlawnites are responding in like measure to God's incredible work among us. So where does it leave us? What is the remaining balance? What is the remaining balance to our building on faith fund that the rest of the church bears a responsibility in retiring? $59,000. We have 139 active family units in the life of our church. In other words, 139 families actively participate in the life of this church over the course of a month. For example, my family, the entire Richardson crew, all seven of us are considered one giving unit, one family unit. We have 139 family units. To the same extent, Miss Jean Lede is the only member of her family that's a member of Woodlawn. She is one family unit in the life of our church. We have 139 active family units. 26 family units have given to Building on Faith. That leaves roughly 113 family units to give to help retire this debt. But friends, can I share something with you? 
the overwhelming generosity of God's people. I'm just being honest with you. Will you allow me just a moment of honesty with the church? I want to be honest with you. The overwhelming expression of generosity from one, le- from one family and from 26 families, I said to our team, I'm compelled to ask the church to respond in like manner. And I want to say to you this morning, church family, just in a matter of honesty, moment of honesty, without a shadow of a doubt, I know the remaining 60,000 will have no problem accomplishing it. I had lunch with Carly on Wednesday, and I was sharing with her this narrative, and Carly said, well, Dad, how are you going to raise the other 60,000? I said, well, maybe easy. I'll just ask Sunday morning in the service, would 60 of you please stand and pledge to give $1,000 over the course of the next year? I said, or we could ask 120 people to stand and pledge to give $500. And she and I, we were driving down the highway, and she said, Daddy, take me to the bank right now. I'll give 500 I want to share with you, just briefly, a larger narrative in the life of our church as it relates to finances. I don't want to conflate the two, because our priority is indeed paying off the remaining $59,000. But I want to give a challenge to the remaining 113 families, as we have a few Significant issues in the life of our Family Life Center. That building was built almost 30 years ago. There's some significant work that needs to be done on the floor. Have you walked in and looked at the floor lately? The siding on that building from the grommets. We had work done earlier this year. They told us that those, those screws are starting to rust, and they will rust bigger and bigger, and will start to get leaking on that building. We're going to have to do a little work. We're not talking about a half million dollars or anything like that on, on the FLC. But I do want to say to you, church family, whatever remaining dollars come in over the monies needed to pay off the remaining debt for our building will be applied to the work that needs to take place in the Family Life Center. And I have to tell you one more story. And I'm going to save one more story for you to uh, encourage you to participate in our members meeting next Sunday. I'm going to share with you, and let me just give you a nugget. This story is overwhelming. It's unbelievable. I'm going to share with you a story at the members meeting next Sunday that completely eclipses, quadruples the narrative you've seen this morning. All because of the generosity of God's people. Friends, we have another donor that came to me rather out of the blue and says, Lewis, not even a member of this church. Lewis, I heard about, or I know about the gym floor at Woodlawn. Y'all have that basketball program. He said, quite honestly, that floor is terrible, and I've been thinking about it. I'd like to help you guys with it. So what do you mean by help us with it? 
And his family says, we'd like to cover the cost, the majority of the cost for a new floor in the FLC. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I only have one response to the incredible generosity of God's people in the life of this church and disconnected from this church over the course of the last three months. And here it is. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. I don't know how. I don't know how to define it better than that. So how can you, how can the remaining church families in the life of this church join us in retiring the remaining debt on the life of our education building? I'd like to ask those that I asked to help our Building on Faith team and a few of our deacons uh, if you'd come forward, and on the front pews here, there are some, some cards that are stacked in the corners here, and Zach Truett and Dana have some in the balcony. Um, we'd like to ask you to pass one of these out to the members in the life of our church. Church family, we'd like for, for you to grab one of these. And as they, are, as they are passing these cards out to you, I'd like to turn your attention to the screens here that will show you one path forward. One potential path forward for us accomplishing the task of retiring the debt on our education building. And friends, I want to be as clear with you as I was clear with those with whom I met over the course of the last year, over the course of the last month and a half. Here is our specific ask of you. This is what we are asking you to join us in doing. We're asking you to make a pledge to give an amount over the course of the next year. October of this year through October of next year. By the way, I didn't share this story with you. Of the, the $475,000 that have been pledged by 26 families, half of that money has already been given toward BOF and the life of this church. And by the way, can I tell you something exciting as well? We've applied the $300,000. We've applied the additional two hundred and Ms. Kinder, $224,000, I can't remember. We've applied that. We will save... $230,000 in interest just by those payments alone. Now listen, yes, you can clap for that as well. If, what's the remaining balance on interest, if you will, if we pay out the remaining of this loan over the year, we'll pay somewhere around $40,000 in interest. I'm just encouraging you that, uh, sharing that with you as, as a means so that you know where we are, 
It's also a means of why some have already given one-time gifts, but we aren't asking you to make a pledge today or tomorrow that says, I will give this amount tomorrow. We're asking you to make a pledge to give a certain amount over the course of a year, October to October. But know this, the quicker we pay it off, the more we save in interest payments. How can we accomplish this? Friends, if seven of you this morning would make a commitment to give $200 a month for one year, a total of $2,400 a year, that would give us $16,800. If 13 people will pledge $100 a month for a year, $1,200 total, we'll take in an additional $15,600. And if 46 families will pledge $50 a month, $600 a year, for $27,600, we'll reach our goal. We're not asking you to fill out a card this morning. I'm not asking you to put that card in an offering plate today. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing that I ask each of these families that I met with. Would you take the next week to two weeks and pray as a family about how you might give? And then we're asking you, over the course of the next week to two weeks, would you please complete that pledge card and turn it in to us? Or you can also send an email to our office, info at wbcbr.org, or to Miss Kendra, Ms. Kendra's email is listed on the back of the bulletin, financial at wbcbr.org. If you would please return that card or let her know, we would greatly appreciate it. But can I share with you something that's amazing? If we never shared this story with you this morning, and the faithful people in the life of this church who are already giving on a monthly basis to BOF, if they continued that same level of giving for one year, we would more than pay the building off. Woodlawn, I want to say to you this morning, as I said at the beginning, generosity sows generosity. And one of the reasons... I firmly believe this church is so incredibly generous is because of your generosity. Your generosity serves as a demonstration of your love for God and for one another. And it compels each of us to join and that grace giving. Will you join us? Would you join with the other 26 families as we seek over the course of the next year to pay the remaining debt off? And would you join me in giving thanks to God for His inexpressible gift? Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your love to us. 
We thank you that your love has been demonstrated to us through the sending of your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that that love is demonstrated among the people of God in the way in which we love you, God, and the way in which we love one another. And so we ask this morning that we as your people might respond rightly to the grace that you've given to us. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and answer the question in your life, have you received God's grace? Have you trusted in God? Has your life been redeemed by this gospel narrative? Have you believed in Jesus? Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, would you believe in him today? Would you hear the narrative of this story of God's generosity, the generosity of God's people? Would you respond in like measure? Would you believe? For those of you who have trusted, would you reflect for a few moments in your own life about what you're giving communicates about your love for God and your love for God's people. Perhaps you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have to be honest. I've not been all that faithful. I've never really understood all the importance of it. Friends, all of us are on a journey of sanctification we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I want to encourage you in your giving. Would you make a commitment this morning to faithfully give for the work of ministry in the life of our church? If you are giving faithfully and regularly, would you thank God for that expression of grace in your life? Would you thank Him for the blessing that He has given to you? And in just a few moments, we're going to all stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word with hearts full of commitment. As we sing, Come all Christians... Be committed. As we sing, friends, if you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to talk to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people in the life of this church who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you'd like for one of us just to pray with you to pray that God's grace might be demonstrated in your, in your life, to pray that you indeed would be an overly cheerful, generous giver. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart 
that you should be connected to this church family to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you, may our response be pleasing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?